Well, uh, tonight we're uh, going to go super big. Uh, we often go big. We're going to go super, super big again tonight. Uh, we're going to deal with some topics that are massive. And here it is. What's the purpose of life? This is the topic I want to deal with. What is life about? Uh, why do we exist? Why are we here? Not just why are we here in this building, but why is the planet here? Why is the universe here? Why is humanity here? Why is there not nothing? Why is there something? Why do we exist? Uh, that's a massive question, isn't it? What's the purpose? Do you know, uh, as I move amongst people and talk amongst um, people who are kind of, uh, not churchgoers, just uh, people you move around with and so on, uh, it's interesting, most people, as far as I can tell, have a sense of a view on what the purpose of life is. And it tends to go a little bit like this. It's not, it's not always well thought through. It's not as if they've kind of sat down and said, okay, what's the purpose of life? This is what it is. I'm gonna... It's more something that grows and emerges as life goes on. And you might be sitting here tonight uh, having this similar kind of thing. Um, most people I talk to go, well, look, there's no real purpose. It's not as if the universe has a real purpose. It just is. It's what is, it is. You know, it just is the way it is. But... You've got to live with a purpose. This is how I think people go. You've got, still got to have a purpose in life. And so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make... Here's my purpose. I'm trying to make the most of my life. I'm trying to just make my way through life and live the best life I can. So oh, I don't know what the, per- the purpose is, but I know what my purpose is. It's to make the life that I want to live so that my life, having lived here, has been worthwhile. Does that sound familiar? And, and often that kind of boils down to the thing I want. I just want to have a happy life. Uh, I want to live life the best way I can so that I enjoy life. It's not miserable, it's not horrible, uh, things go well for me. But as you kind of dig down in that, basically what people are saying when they talk about the purpose of life is that ultimately the purpose of life is about me. Oh, it's about you. That is to say, no, no one's crass enough to sort of say, life's all about me. But when you hear them talk about life, what they're basically saying is, Um, life's about me being as happy as I can be. Me. Me. Oh, so life's about you. Well, I wouldn't be as selfish as that, but, but, you know, it's about my purpose and me being fulfilled and me. So it's about you. Well, it's about my family. Well, it's your family, though, not someone else's family that it's about. So it's about you again. Well, it's about me serving and giving to others. Why? Well, that I might have a rewarding life and a meaningful, fulfilling life. Oh, so it's about you again. Now, I don't do this to people typically, right? So don't, don't worry if I hang out with you and I start pushing like that. But, uh, but that's what's kind of going in the mind is basically, you know, if I do good and I pursue causes and I want oppression ended and the oppressed to be helped and I get angry about injustice and so on, a lot of what's going on there are my own reactions and if you dig into it, you'll find out the reason I'm pursuing these things is because I want to have a meaningful life. I want to live a meaningful life. Well, it's about you then. It's about you living your life the best way you can for your sense of self. You're at the centre. It's a consistent feature. In fact, it seems so natural that we would be at the centre of whatever thinking we have about the purpose of life. It's almost impossible to think of life without me at the centre of it, whatever way I go. You can't think of life apart from me and my needs and my wants. That they're fulf- It's just so natural. And in fact, uh, there's kinds of Christianity. You know, Christianity's been doing it tough for many sort of years. 
and churches are keen to get a crowd um, and one of the ways churches go about getting a crowd is to find out what people want to hear and then speak a message that speaks to them and so lots of churches end up going down the path of saying you know what Christianity is about you Christianity is about you it's about you being fulfilled it's about you being happy it's about and you end up with this kind of consumer Christianity where if you come to Jesus you'll get all the blessings you've ever wanted your life will be rewarding rich fulfilled and so on and it'll be wonderful and great for you it's all about you because you're really so significant what I want to do is take you through tonight a radical thought, a very, very different thought, one that revolutionises the whole of life and it connects into EV Grow. Now tonight's the last week of EV Grow uh, and so we will be talking about uh, the whole giving process and so on. But uh, in many ways that's secondary. The thing that our hearts as pastors are concerned about is you and your grasp of what God is about in the world. So we're going to major there. But what I want to say to you, what we're talking about tonight is a very different way of thinking than the popular understanding of life. It's a very revolutionised way of thinking, a complete shift in the way you think. Now we're going to do all of this by dipping into one of the most amazing passages, one of the most rich, deep passages in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 1. Now we're going to just look at the first 10 verses, it's so rich in fact um, uh, we're going to focus on the first 10 verses and I've decided to do something on the screen and so this is where we all get nervous, so here's what I'm going to do, I'm going to talk to the person next to you and see if someone can make this work for me, Um, talk to the person next to you, I don't know, what did you watch for TV today? No, 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 I didn't mean that. What, uh, what do your friends think the purpose of life is? Be, be, be more serious, come on. Yoo-hoo! Okay, did you get any answers? Am I right? Yeah, yeah, I'm always right. Okay, that's good. Okay, so what we've got up here is uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 10, the text. Uh, You can see the little verse references, wonderful, the guys have put that together for us. Um, We're going to go through this and I'm going to sort of uh, take us through it and I'm going to, um, I'm going to do this. All right, does that help? If you look here through the text, it'll take you down to here, right. So if I've got this right, We can just do that, yes. Okay, so let's start at the beginning, great place to start. Um, Have a look, grab your Bibles if you want to look on your Bibles, but you can look here at the screen, Uh, I think you've got the eyes that can work it out. Verse 3, how does he start? Well, verse uh, 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, if you underline everything, you underline nothing. So there we are. (laughs) (laughs) but let me just now take you through it there's some various features to it the first one is praise praise be to God the apostle Paul starts calling us to praise God God is worthy of our praise and he gives us the reason why why is he worthy of praise because he has blessed us he has blessed us not just with anything not just with 
uh, cars or a friend or your health or a great beach or a great surf spot. He hasn't blessed. It's not those, not as if it's wrong that God has blessed us in all kinds of ways. But the thing the Apostle Paul focuses on, look at the text up here. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms. He has blessed us in the, in the, in the, not in this world in a sense, though it is in this world because the heavenly realms are part of our experience of life. But it's an invisible experience. The heavenly realms aren't the thing that you can touch and see with your eyes. But they're a true place, a place where um, God rules all things, a, a place where well, God rules all things from, a, a place where the spiritual forces and demonic powers exist even. Chapter 6 tells us this, uh, chapter 3 as well. Um, the, the heavenly realms are the place where the powers are. And the Apostle Paul says, we are blessed in that realm. With what? With spiritual blessings. With spiritual blessings. The kind of blessings that, again, you can't see. Now, I want you just to reflect a little bit on this for a moment. The Apostle Paul, when he stops to think about blessings, um, is somewhat different to the way many people, when they stop and think about blessings. Most people, if you stop them and say, are you blessed? Are you feeling blessed? Yeah, I feel blessed. Give us, count your blessings. What are your blessings? I'll jot down some blessings. And often people come up with blessings that largely relate to their experience in this world. And largely relate to, to things they are aware are needs that have been fulfilled. So uh, someone will say, I'm blessed to have my health. And that's often because they've reflected on, on people who have been very ill, sick, and they're going, wow, thank you, Lord, that I'm, I'm healthy, because they see the problem. Uh, you, it's interesting, um, lots of people as they get older, a young couple want to have kids, try and have kids for many years, struggle to have kids, and finally falls pregnant and has a child... How are you feeling blessed? I'm blessed that I've been able to have kids because we couldn't for many years. We, didn't take, we don't take it for granted. You said there was a need unmet that now is fulfilled. Oh, it's so close and focused for me. I'm blessed that I have friends because I know how... I'm blessed in a country that's not at war because I'm very now aware of the war that's around the place. Now, here's the thing. The Apostle Paul, when you push him, when you sit him down to say, in what ways are we blessed? He immediately goes to the heavenlies and to the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. Why? Because he is very alert to the needs that we have in the heavenlies. He is very alert to the problem of hell and the seriousness of God's judgment that you can't see. And when he's captivated by those massive eternal realities, he says, the thing that causes me to burst forth in praise of God is not the new car, it's not the beach, it's not the friends. It's the blessings we have in the heavenly realms, the spiritual blessings. And he in fact says here that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. There's an overwhelming abundance of these blessings that the Apostle Paul is going to talk about. Now he lists them here, he's going to go through them and show them to us. Uh, let's look at verse 4. Uh, and gives them just a little bit of space. Look at verse 4 there. Um, now, what I want to suggest to you, as you go through verse 4 to verse... He's listing out the blessings, and there's four of them. Here we go. They, they start... The first one is there at verse 4, all the way through... Well, just in those first two lines. You see halfway through there? That's the first blessing. 
The second blessing starts in love and goes all the way through to the end of verse 6. Now, we're going to look at each of these in turn in a moment. Um, Verse 7 is the third blessing. That's where it starts and goes all the way through to the end of that paragraph. Do you see down there? It's a long little section. The fourth blessing starts with the word with and takes us us all the way to the end of the section we're looking at at verse 10. So there's four blessings. Now, what are the blessings? Well, look with me at this and uh, see if this becomes evident. Verse 4. He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. What's the blessing? What's the blessing in that verse? I'll say to you what the blessing is, that he, cho- he chose us to be holy and blameless in His sight. There's the blessing. Holy and blameless in His sight. It's an extraordinary thing the Apostle Paul says, which is that, Sinners, creatures, uh, beings of no inherent worth, in a sense, although image bearers, creatures who are sinners, can stand before the holy God, the holy judge of the universe. And he says we can stand there holy and blameless in God's sight, without without anything to answer for. Free and clear before the Lord God himself. That blessing is an invisible blessing. No one actually can feel or see it. But the Apostle Paul knows it's true and is thrilled by the... Praise God that we have this first blessing. He then takes you in verse 5 to the second blessing. You'll see there's a similar uh, piece of language there, the uh, predestination language. We'll come back to that in a moment. He predestined us for adoption to sonship. There's the second blessing. Now, there is what follows a whole bunch of words through Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he, all of this language, which is really just expanding on or giving uh, circumstances that attend to the blessing. But the blessing is adoption to sonship. What the Apostle Paul sees is that we have been brought into the very family of God. If you have faith in the Lord Jesus, if you've turned to Him as your Lord and your Saviour, repented of living life for yourself and turned to Him, the Apostle Paul says the extraordinary blessing that causes him to burst forth in praise to God is that in the heavenly realms, we have this spiritual blessing that we are the very family of God. We've been given to know God as our Father and the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Brother. We've been brought into such a relationship with God that we are family loved and cherished as family. Praise God, says the Apostle Paul. What's the third blessing? Well, the third blessing, you come down there in verse 7. In Him we have, here it is, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now again, there's a whole bunch of uh, little words that hang off that which we'll look at again in a moment. But just look at the blessing that we have. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, those two things are connected. I don't think they're two separate blessings. They're very entwined. And I think what the Apostle Paul is saying is this. We have redemption 
through his blood. What's redemption? Redemption is, the word redemption means to redeem something, to buy something. So if something's um, locked up, possessed, uh, in slavery, uh, captured by something, then you would redeem it. You'd pay a price to buy it out of slavery, you see. Uh, and Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we're in slavery to sin, the world and the devil. We are in slavery to the ways of this world, the, 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 ways, the, the way the world thinks, the way the world lives, we just go along with. You don't, you don't think perhaps you do, you just think I'm my own person, but I notice how your fashions always change as the world's fashions always change. Do you notice that? You don't even think about it, but pants that used to be down low are now up high and you don't, you, I wasn't that stupid back then, but it wasn't stupid when you were doing it back then, you all thought it was smart. You all just, we're all part of the world and its fashions and its movements. We're all captivated by it. There, there is no uniform, but you all have a uniform. We're also, though, more seriously captive to Satan. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we're following the ways of this world and the prince of the air, Satan. And we are, therefore, by nature, objects of wrath. But the Apostle Paul says... The extraordinary gift of us that God has given us is that we've been bought, redeemed from that. How? Through the blood. Through the blood of Jesus. By his death on a cross where he shed his blood, such a price has been paid that we've been purchased, saved, redeemed. And get this though, the Apostle Paul never gets over the fact that it cost the life of God's only Son to purchase you. So serious was the slavery that we were in. And this purchase, this redemption through his blood, is the context for the forgiveness of sins. You see how the two are connected. We're redeemed through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. By being bought out from under sin, slavery, death and so on, we have been forgiven. Christ has paid the price. Now there's the third blessing. Let me show you the fourth one. Now the fourth one is here in verse 9. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Now again, you've got a, a lot of text here that follows and we're going to look at that actually a little bit more in detail in a moment. But the blessing itself is there at the beginning of verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Now, what does all of that mean? Well, the mystery of his will, let's start there. Uh, the mystery of his will is, is the idea that... Um, uh, so, we're looking at these words here. The mystery of his will is not mysterious will. It's not a kind of a spooky will. It's a crime fiction mystery will. That was a very good reaction. <laughs> it was a crime fiction mystery. That is to say, you're going along and you don't know what the answer is until the mystery is revealed and the secret comes out. Well, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that God had a will, a purpose. He's got, there is something that he wants to see happen in the universe and it's not been revealed, but now it has been. Because he has made known to us that will of God. Now what is that will of God that he's made known to us? Well look, I've, gone, I've given you a section that's a little bit 
I've expanded those verses out, verses 9 and 10, just so we can have a little bit more of a careful look at them. Um, you see there he's, uh, he's, made known to us, he's made known to us the mystery of his will, the mystery that he purposed, he purposed in Christ Jesus, the mystery to put into effect, it, it's not been put into effect yet, but it will be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfilment. There will come a day when this purpose of God will be finally expressed in its fullness. Now, what is this purpose of God? Well, it's wonderfully and extraordinarily right here. To sum up all things in Christ. Now, let me explain a little bit of this. Uh, If you're alert and you've got your Bible there, that language of sum up is not what we saw in the previous little page. Uh, You can see uh, right at the bottom here, to bring unity to all things. That idea of bringing unity is an attempt to translate the same Greek word that to sum up is translating. And let me try and write it for you. Ready for this? It's a Greek word that is a compound, ana, kef, alei. It's a little Greek thing. I never work out how to English it, Isaac. But it's, it's, a two, it's, a, it's one word joined together, anakephale. And it's, um, the problem with the word is that that part of the compound, the kephale part, is often translated by the word headship. It often means head or authority over the head of something, you see, the boss. But here's the thing. And so as people have translated that Greek, that Greek word, that compound word over the years, they've tried to capture this sense of under Christ, the authority of Christ, bringing together in Christ. They've tried to capture this anakephalia word in this sense. But here's the thing. In ancient literature, that word anakephalia, or it's, it's a little bit got a more complex ending to it, but that Greek word actually is used to mean to sum up something, to, to bring to its fullness something, to complete something, to sum it up. And I think, well, more and more scholars are saying this is a better trans, that little phrase is a better translation of it, which, which is saying this, friends. God's purpose, which has yet to come to its completion, is yet to reach its fulfilment is to sum up all of existence in Christ. It's to have everything wrapped up and bound up in Him. It's for Him to be the glorious one, the great one, the central one, and all of existence to be bound together with Him. And the great glorious gift of God is that He has made known to us this great purpose... He has let us in on the secret of the universe, which is, it's about Jesus. It's about everything being summed up in Jesus. And the great blessing that the Apostle Paul gives thanks to God for is that you and I are not in the dark anymore. There's no need to live in the dark anymore. We now know that God is about something in the universe. He's about something massive in the universe. He's, something about, he's about something that's huge and beyond and over us. He is about His Son. 
He's about his son being the centre of all things. Everything that's caught up in him, that's what he's about. Now, <laughs> friends, um, there's, there's a lot of things we've left out. We're going to go back, but there's, there's the four purposes. Come back with me and let's uh, clean it up and uh, run back through all of this again. Four great blessings of God, that we've been chosen to be holy and blameless, that we've been adopted, that we've been... Um, redeemed through his blood the forgiveness of sins and we've been let in on the promises the purposes of God but there was a whole bunch of words we missed out on let me take you through some of these there is the word verse 4 he chose us do you see that phrase there he chose us you get that same language again in verse 5 he predestined us he chose us he predestined us and he did all of this the end of verse 6 in accordance with with his pleasure and will. The point the Apostle Paul is making, which he repeats, you see, is that all these blessings that have come to us, adoption, holy and blameless, forgiven, redeemed, knowing God's purposes, all of these blessings that have come to us, come to us because it's God's idea. It's his decision to give it to us. It was his plan to give it to us. And it's emphasised again and again to make the point that he has freely given it to us. Nothing made him give it to us. Look at chapter 6, verse uh, verse 6, the second half of verse 6, he explicitly says this, uh, and let's highlight it for us, which he has freely given us. He's given it to us without having to give it to us. It was his choice. No one made him do it. He didn't owe it to us to do it for him. It wasn't like he, he, he saw how wonderful we were and felt like he just owed it to us. No, no, he freely gave it to us. And all of that's to say the freedom of God in giving it all to us is to express the idea of grace. Grace. The riches of God's grace. The word grace just means unmerited favour. It means a gift that you're given that you don't deserve. And what Paul is saying is that by virtue of God having chosen us, by virtue of God having predestined us before we even existed. It proves that he did it freely, not because we did anything to make him do it. He did it before we even existed. It was his choice and he did it freely. It was a a kindness. It was a grace gift, which is the same as saying it was love. It was God's love of us. His generosity to freely give. And verse 8, he lavished it on us. Paul is making a point. And you sense what he is saying in all of this? If you are a person here tonight who has your faith in the Lord Jesus, is trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, then you'll be able to stand on the last day holy and blameless, forgiven, redeemed, adopted, You'll be able to stand on that last day extraordinarily before the judge of the universe. And here's the deal. The reason you'll be able to stand is because of his work. Because of what he did for you. Because of his choice, his grace, his lavish love, his kindness and fullness, his love. Extraordinary truths. You know, I, let me, I don't think I can sit down to do this. Do you know, I, I started off by saying that... Um, 
there's a pattern that our world uses when it comes to think about life and the purpose of life. You know, what's life about? And our default position is to think about, I I don't know what the purpose of life is, but I'm going to make up my own purpose and my own purpose is going to be centred on me. Whatever the purpose is, the purpose I want to have is I want my life to be better. I want life to actually work for me. I want me to be happy. What we end up saying is that we're at the centre. But when you look at the Apostle Paul and the way he talks about life and its existence and the way it is, what's at the centre of life for the Apostle Paul? Now, that's the wrong question, actually. Not a what is at the centre of life, but what should the question be? Who is at the centre of life? And it's not us. Who is at the centre of life? Jesus. Who is at the centre of existence? That man who walked the streets of Palestine 2,000 years ago, who was rejected, crucified, died on a cross, buried, dead, and rose again. That man is at the centre of the... A Middle Eastern man. Put aside your racism. He is at the centre of the universe. You know, there's a kind of Christianity that secretly believes humans are quite wonderful. There's a certain understanding in the secular world that humans are really very wonderful. And there's a kind of Christianity that plays on that and says, do you know, you're so special and it's because you're so special that God died for you. In fact, Jesus having to die for you shows how special you must be to him, that he's, he's, he's kind of, you've, he's so, you've so won his affections, you've so called forth his love, you must be amazing. You're a great, you're a princess, you're a prince of God because you're so extraordinary. There's a kind of Christianity that secretly teaches and believes that we're really very wonderful. But biblical Christianity, biblical Christianity keeps parading the truth that God is the wonderful one. He's the kind one. He's the lavish loving one. He's the one that is overflowing in love and goodness. And what it demonstrates in the fact that you have salvation is that he's amazing, not you. The fact that he chose you is not evidence that you're wonderful. You're only special because he chose you. He didn't choose you because you are special. You've become special because he chose you. Biblical Christianity has the complete reverse of secular thinking and popular Christianity. It's God who does it. It's he who's the amazing one. It's not about us. Let me sit down. There's so much more here. There's an extraordinary piece here that's kind of odd that I want to take you through as well. Let's clear this again and show you the the rest of this text. I don't know if you noticed this, but as you go through this passage, there's some language that's kind of funny. And uh, it's the language of in. Have a look at verse 3. You see the language of in Christ. Do you see it there? In Christ. And then in verse 4... He chose us in him. You see the same idea. And then you see again, um, verse 5, you get it actually, well, you don't see it, but it is hidden just here in the original language. There's another in him that sits there. But you go along, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely gave us in the one he loves, in him. And again in verse 7, in him. 
we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then you come into verse uh, 9 and 10. At the end of verse 9, he's purposed all of this in Christ. And at the end of it, what I want to suggest to you, that word is not under, it's actually in him, in the original. It's there again, in. Again, through this passage, there's about seven occasions where this little phrase, in Jesus, in Christ, in him, is used. And you get a number more as you go through the next four or five verses in this first chapter. This language of in Jesus, it's a deeply important phrase. And it's kind of an odd phrase, but it's deeply important. It's important because of this. Well, there's a number of reasons. The Apostle Paul says that all the blessings that we have are in Jesus. Now, what's interesting here was a Trinitarian shape to the whole passage. He talks about God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God the Father does it through the Son, by the Holy Spirit, is part of the shape of the whole passage. But there's a deeply crazy thing here. The Apostle Paul doesn't say that these blessings come to us by Jesus. Now, he could have, that's true. But he doesn't say these blessings come to us by Jesus. And he doesn't even say much that it comes to us through Jesus, once there, but not often. Not by Jesus, but in Jesus, in the Son. Now, why? Why does he talk about this? Why does he keep using this little word, in, in, <laughs> in, in? Why does he keep using in all the time? Well, let me explain it. Imagine an aeroplane trip to Hawaii. You want to get from Sydney to Hawaii, a great place to go. Um, and there's an aeroplane that's going there. Aeroplanes are able to get there. You're not. You can't swim there. You can't flap your arms. You can't walk there. You need an aeroplane to get there. Now, there's a certain kind of set of relationships you could have with an aeroplane. You could sit on an aeroplane. You could tie a rope to the back of the aeroplane and be attached by a rope to the aeroplane. You could sit under the aeroplane and hold on to it. There's a whole bunch of different ways you could relate to this aeroplane. Do any of them get you to Hawaii? No, you will die on the way. <laughs> Just a quick tip. <laughs> now, now, there's only one way of relating to the aeroplane that will get you to Hawaii. What kind of relationship do you need with the aeroplane to get you to Hawaii? You need to be in it. You need to be in it. The Lord Jesus is the aeroplane. And he's not just going to Hawaii, he's going to the holy God to stand before the holy judge of the universe, to, to, be, to return to his Father as the Son who is beloved of the Father, who is cherished by the Father. He is the only one worthy of being able to get to the Father. There's no one righteous, not even one. We have no hope. But there is one who is righteous, who has never sinned, who can stand before the Father. He's the aeroplane. He's the one the worthy to stand there. He's able to rise from the dead and stand there. He's able to be into eternity with God. And here's God's plan. God's plan wasn't just to use Jesus as a tool to get you there. God's purpose was to, have, to, to create such a relationship between you and his son, such a close and intimate relationship between you and his son, 
that you would be in Jesus. Now, this is, this is mind-blowing. Being a Christian, being someone who believes the truth about who Jesus claims to be, that's what it is to be. Being a Christian is someone who goes, I realise now that Jesus is everything he said he was, that he is the Son of God, that he came to die for us, that his death pays the price, that I can actually be forgiven because of his blood, that he's risen again to be the Lord of all and he's my Lord. A Christian is someone who believes all of that and now embraces Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Yes. But what is shown here in the Apostle Paul is something richer, deeper and far more wonderful, that being a Christian is being so connected to Jesus by the work of the Holy Spirit, chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, by the work of the Holy Spirit, being a Christian is being so connected to the Lord Jesus by the work of the Holy Spirit that you are in Jesus, you become joined to Jesus. God takes you, a dead sinner, brings you to life in Jesus. He He chose you before the creation of the world to have this happen for you. He predestined you for this purpose. And he works in history to bring you to this purpose. And all of that means this. Wherever Jesus is, you are. However the Father sees the Son, he sees you. Because you are in Jesus. When Jesus died on a cross under the judgment for sin, under the wrath of God, you were in him dying there so so that his death was your death so that there's now nothing more to pay because you died back then sin has been paid for though you still feel the power of sin and all the rest and satan still accuses you you can say that no 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 by faith in jesus the holy spirit's united me to christ so that his death was my death i've got nothing there's nothing you can accuse me of it's been forgiven his death was your death His resurrection was your resurrection. You've been raised to life in him. And his ascension to the right hand of the Father was your ascension to the right hand of the Father. So that you are now, by the work of the Holy Spirit, in the heavenly realms, as close to God the Father as you can be. You don't need to do anything more to get any closer because the plain, Jesus, is there and by the Holy Spirit and the faith in Jesus, you are there with him in the heavenly realms. So that the Lord, when the Lord God looks at Jesus and loves his son, anyone who is in Jesus, by faith in Jesus, is loved by the Father like the Father loves the Son. You are loved, just like the Son is loved. You see what Paul is saying here is that Jesus is not just the means by which you are saved, though he is. He's not merely the one by whom you are saved, though he is. He is your salvation. And he is what everything is about. Because everything will be summed up in Christ. The whole of the universe is about him. Now what does that mean? This actually takes us a little deeper into the very heart of God himself actually. What does all of this mean that the son is everything that's going to be summed up in him that he's the purpose of life let me explain it to you like this there is a very real sense in that before creation happened God the father chose to create out of love for his son and so for the sake of his son he creates the universe and every one of us everything that exists He makes all things through his son, Colossians chapter 1, and he makes everything 
for his son, as a gift to his son. You are made not just to live and exist as you are, you are made as a present out of love of the Father for the Son, for the Son, that he might be glorified in your redemption, in your election, in your predestination, your salvation, forgiveness, that you might, you might bring glory to him so that the Father might give this gift of us to the Son, that the Son might be glorified, which might bring glory to the Father who glorifies the Son. We are part of this cosmic purpose You have been made for a bigger thing than your few years here. You have been made for something far more than you You might get a job. You you, you might get married. You might have kids. You're made for far more than that. The point is that there is a purpose to our existence in the universe, but it doesn't have you at the centre. It's not about you. There is someone at the centre of all things and it's not me, it's not you, it's God the Son. And it's the love of the Father for the Son that puts him there. John chapter 17, glorify the Father, the Son, that the Son might glorify. It's an incredible, beautiful thing between the Father and Son. And I want to call on you tonight to repent of thinking life is about you. To repent of of thinking that life is about me and my fulfilment and my satisfaction and my job and my career and my... It's not about you. It is one of the... It is is the greatest foolishnesses, the the, the greatest sin, the greatest horror that a human, a, a mere creature would take the universe that God has made for his son and turn it into being something for me. And when you see the perversity of that, you realise why judgment is as serious as it is. Because we have taken the whole of existence which was meant for the glory of the son of God and made it as if it's about me. The pride and foolishness of humankind. And in doing all of that, we have perverted what is best for me, actually. Because to live for myself will always disappoint. We are too puny to live for, to be worth living for. And life always gets corrupted and destroyed as we pursue that kind of life. God intends glory for us, actually. God intends your glory. But he intends your glory only as you find your identity in Jesus. Because he's the one who will be glorified. And as you enter into him and the glory the Son receives, you will be the recipient of that glory in Christ. Because God loves you and wants good for you by having you in his Son, who is at the centre of all things. You see, there's a very profound sense in which the Father's love for the Son means that we get caught up into this beautiful love the Father has because of the electing purposes of God to have you united to his Son that you might enjoy all the Son has. Do you see the wonder of these things? This is the greatness of verse 9 and 10. The great blessing of verse 9 and 10 is that God has made known to us what he's about in the universe. That finally will be seen for everyone one day. That Jesus be all in all. And that you be in him. You know, this is a great blessing, the Apostle Paul says, because we now don't have to live in the dark. 
We don't have to live like our friends do, foolishly, lost, wondering. We can know the great truth that we, all of this might cause us to rejoice and give thanks and all of it might help us to live wisely. How do you live wisely in light of all of this? Well, you live in holiness. You live in submission to what Jesus would have you do because that's what you're made for. You live obeying him, not your whims, not the world, not the prince of this air. You, 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 you live obeying the Lord Jesus. And you appreciate that we are part of something cosmic, that life is now a bigger thing. God's great plan is to sum up everything in Christ. Life isn't a me project anymore. It's a Jesus project. It's about knowing him and making him known. Bringing others to see why they exist, what the purpose of life is, how actually when you come to Jesus, everything does open it up. You do now find the meaning that you're made for and it is satisfying and rich and rewarding. But only because it's in Christ. You know, to live apart from Jesus, to live outside of Jesus, is to live in this cul-de-sac, this... Um, this cut-off part of existence, which will finally be destroyed. It's to commit your life to futility and emptiness. But to come to Jesus is to come to the one you were made for, the one life is all about. Brothers and sisters, Christian tonight, God has gifted you to know his purpose. What a great blessing. You have come out of darkness into the light. Live as children of light, aware of this great truth about yourself. To know the joy of the future glory that's ours, what a hope we have, but also to make him known that others might find this joy as well. You know, over these uh, four weeks, we've been trying to stir each other to see the great purposes of God and there is a great purpose that we need to seek to bring people from hell and condemnation and judgment to life in Christ just out of love for them that we would seek to save them by bringing them the gospel of Jesus but what this passage tells us tonight is that it's not just to save people from hell that we preach the gospel it's actually to bring people to see the great glory that they have in store for them in Christ it's their very purpose we talked about heaven a few weeks ago about that great hope now we're talking about the very reason they exist to preach to them Jesus that they might find him now EV grow how does this all connect with EV grow well we've been talking for the last bunch of weeks about people being stirred to think how they might give financially to a separate bucket of money I mean giving week by week just helps the ministries function but give separately to this particular thing to make the property bills be paid for and we've been trying to help people see that actually paying for the mortgage, that this can continue, is actually instrumental in us being able to gather people together to hear of the very purpose of existence, why we exist, to have the gospel preached. Friends, we want to stir you to give to that purpose, to give to the property with the intention that providing money there would enable the rest to continue to function. Do it for that reason. Now, it's not an exciting, great, grand vision of we're going to build this new thing. Or we're going to... It's just paying the bills. But you know what? I think Christian maturity is about giving to what just needs to be given to, even when it's not exciting. Give. 
But I might add for us tonight this thought. If everything is made by Jesus and for Jesus and everything's to be summed up in Jesus, all that you own is for Jesus. All your money, all your resources, all your time is for Jesus. He in his kindness encourages us to spend our time and money on things that we enjoy as well because he's made all good things for our enjoyment. So it's not wrong to enjoy. But we do that as using what he has given us. And so I'm urging you tonight to realise that all your resources are actually for him anyway. And so to be generous and sacrificial and giving to the purposes of God giving to help the property be paid for, giving to help the ministries function, giving to help missionaries keep functioning, giving to all of these different things with money that he has given us that's not even ours because it's all for him anyway. And all for the purpose that we might see people one to this great insight and understanding that they've been made for Jesus. Everything's going to be summed up in him and we'll only find glory in Jesus. Let me pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the extraordinary gifts that you have given us in the heavenly realms, the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. We thank you that you have chosen us to be holy and blameless. We thank you that you have redeemed us. We we, we thank you that you have adopted us as family, that you have brought us the forgiveness of sins. We thank you that you have let us in on your great purposes. Please help us now live as people who are in the light, that we might live our days captivated and captured by the truth that we are made by Jesus and for Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen.